that was like, I remember getting the fish line. I'm like, I'm good on this. I don't need to do it again. <laughs> like I've done yeah. it twice and I've ran now over 30 half marathons. If, if I include like my training runs and everything and it's wow. like, I'm, I'm, I'm good on this. And so yeah. I think honoring the place when you get to of like, I don't have to keep doing this to prove something I'm done. Like yeah. also honoring the body when the body's like, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. Yeah. And now for me, like I find a lot of joy in going for a one or two mile run. And that's really joyful for me. Welcome to the Performance Rx podcast, where the conversations are about health, nutrition, and mindset for anyone who considers themselves an athlete. From the most elite competitors to those who are simply seeking to improve their athletic performance, we hope the knowledge shared on this show will empower you to reach your physical potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now for today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Bridget Maroney, and today my guest is Rachel Overvall. Rachel is a somatic sex and intimacy coach and author living in Colorado. She works with clients to move beyond shame, stepping into safety in their bodies, and to live a life embodied in pleasure. Using her credentials from the Somatica Institute and Kinsey Institute, she works through the mediums of embodiment and self-attunement to help clients step outside of shame and into the power of their authentic selves. How's it going today, Rachel? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, super excited to have you on the show today. Um, I think this is going to be a, a very, very, very interesting conversation. Just talking about uh, the work you do as a as a sex and intimacy coach, but also just talking about um, somatic coaching because I just you know there's there's so much about our bodies and understanding the uh the information and i and i guess dare i say wisdom you know not to sound cheesy but really wisdom right that comes from it so um but before we dive into that um i just wanted to to ask you know we did a little bit of an introduction in the beginning of the the podcast here but is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about your background or how you got into coaching or anything else like that yeah so i think one of the biggest pertinent pieces of my story is that I grew up in a religious cult. And so when I talk about, you know, this availability to come into connection with the body to drastically heal your life and your relationship with the body, leaving out that part of my story doesn't make it as valuable to everyone as it could be, because I really came from the exact opposite of where I am today. Growing up being taught my body is sinful my body is wrong my body is evil my body is bad and being that heavy indoctrination my entire life until leaving in my early 20s about 10 years ago and learning how to kind of do a full pendulum swing to the other end of it and learning how to deeply trust my body to love my body to be in community and connection with my body and so I share that for anyone listening who's like I don't know if I can get there I'm proof that you can like I've done it. And I love helping people come to this place of deep connection with the body. Yeah. I just, uh, listening to your story and, 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 and just, and I've, I've listened to your whole story before knowing you before this podcast, but, but just hearing that, that overview just now just makes me think of so many things, like you said, um, you know, given your background, um, I was, I was raised Catholic. So I, I, I definitely had the same messaging told to me in my youth, but even just 
And I know this isn't our topic today, but I just want to mention it, like just thinking about people in the LGBTQ community and trans kids and things like that. And just, again, like I have this conversation often with, with other people. The comment that always gets made is like, I just, I just don't get it. I don't get it. And it's like, sure, you know, I may not understand it either, like speaking for myself, but it's like, I also don't understand what it's like to to live in a body that just feels wrong. And anyway, I know, like I said, it's not necessarily the conversation we're having or anything else like that, but it's just, again, like, I guess, touching on that theme of um, what our bodies tell us or um, being connected or, or seeing, you know, like, like you said, like you were told, you know, I was told, you know, our bodies are wrong or sinful and things like that there. So there's just, there's so much messaging from within us, but also from outside, uh, from society that, that conflict. Yeah. And I think that that is pertinent, right? It's like very prevalent in what's happening in our culture today, right? So many people are being told that their identity is, not legitimate, that their Mm -hmm. expression is non-legitimate. And um, it's actually one of my favorite arguments to get into with people because um, as a sex, also as like a sex coach and having gone to the Kinsey Institute, so much of the way people talk about this is um, just not actually accurate with the language that they're using when people are like, oh, well, it's only there's two binary genders. It's like, actually, that's inaccurate. There's there's three um, biological sexes people are born with, male, female, or intersex. So there's not two. It's not binary. Um, and when you're talking about gender, actually, gender is an expression, and gender is also determined by cultural and social. So yes, you can choose your gender because it's not a biological piece of you. Your, your sex is a biological piece of you that can't be like argued because that's your chromosomes and your, and your um, hormones and everything, right? But your gender can mm-hmm. be changed and your gender expression can be not the sex that you were born into. And so it's like, I love having that argument with people because yeah. I love, I'm just like, let me actually tell you because you're using incorrect language, right? And you're using, and you're invalidating someone's experience and gender mm-hmm. is literally socially and culturally defined. So yes, you can choose your gender because it's social and cultural context. You no, know, again, going back to like LGBTQ, there's also sometimes you see LGBTQ, the number two, and that refers to um, two spirit, uh, Native American, indigenous people. And, and so, yeah, culturally, uh, this is this is a culture. This is a society where like that was um, I guess, normalized, right? It wasn't even just normalized. It was like revered. Like people that were mm. spirits in indigenous yeah. tribes were like, they were the wisdom holders. They were yeah, the, that's they right. Were, yeah. They were the people of the tribes and these communities that were sought out for wisdom and advice and expertise. And so, yeah, yeah it's interesting. The more you learn about like sexuality and gender and, um, human sexuality as a whole, the more you realize that so much of what we think is quote unquote normal is actually just like white, straight, Anglo-Saxon indoctrination and it's not normal and it's also healthy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, good, good segue back into the topic of just like health and yeah. So, well, and, and, but, you know, and, and I know like, I, this is kind of my, my perspective with, with this podcast. I know my, my podcast is on the the health performance fitness world, but sex is healthy. It is, it's part of our health. It's part of where, you know, who we are. Like you and I had this conversation, you know, everyone's doing it. 
But but you also made the comment, um, and this kind of goes back into what you do as a, as a sex and intimacy intimacy coach and, and therapist is like you said to me, you know, if people cannot advocate for their needs and like our most intimate of um, you know interactions with, it's like how are you going to be able to do that in in other parts of life? It's so true. It's like, if I don't know, and this is why like the work I do with clients isn't just like, oh, your sex life gets better. It's like whole (laughs) worldly transformational and how you show up as a person, right? If I can learn how to communicate my needs and my desires with intimate partners, if I can learn how to be embodied in intimate situations, if I can learn deep levels of communication with the people I love and admire the most, which are typically the people we also can have the most conflict with because Mm. there's deep (laughs) love and like, we just want to be heard and seen. But if I can learn that in these places, the rest of my life, it's easy. Like, oh, I can definitely tell my boss that I do or don't want to do something because I've been doing it in the bedroom for two months, right? Like all of these external pieces seems so much easier. And so that's why this work I do, it's almost like, it's like the foundation for boundaries, for self-advocacy, for deep understanding of yourself, your limits and your needs. If I can get this foundation, then I can build upon it in my external life outside of intimacy and outside of sex. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you brought up boundaries and I mean, like, yeah, again, like our most fundamental boundary is our, is our, is our physical body. Like don't touch me that way or not even like it, that it's just like, I prefer to be touched this way or, or I don't want, you know, whatever it may be. And then, yeah, extending, like extending that to the outside world of like, Hey, don't talk to me that way. Or, you know, speaking to your boss, like I'm not willing to do that for, for, you know, my job or this project or whatever it may be. Um, I guess really quick, you, you, you kind of touched on this, you know, like you said, it's, it's not just about having good sex. (laughs) Um, but I I do want to bring up, so yeah, I, cause I've seen you talk about this on social media and everything else like that. Um, you know, people learn that you're a sex coach and they, they do automatically assume it's all about sex. And I, you know, I've, I've heard you or seen you, you know, talk about like, you know, people will, will say things to you that are anywhere from just kind of misguided to just completely inappropriate and and disrespectful in my opinion. Um, And so, yeah, like you said, the, the education goes much deeper than that, especially with talking about like what we're saying with somatics and, and our bodies. Um, And so, yeah, I guess, what, what sort of, I guess, what kind of like overview could we, what else could you add to that overview that maybe would clear up these misconceptions or address that? There's so many misconceptions (laughs) and it's wild because I used to get really frustrated with them. And now I'm just like, this is just proof that this work needs to be here because these misconceptions are wild. Like, oh, so you watch people have sex. No, I don't watch people have sex, you know, or I get typically like white hetero men that are like, oh, you want to watch me have sex and tell me how good I'm doing? That's what I've gotten a lot. Or from women who have not done their work to step outside of patriarchy, they'll be like, well, I don't want you near my husband or my boyfriend. It's like, I'm not trying to have sex with your partner. Like, And so these like deep miss, but what does it all come back to? It comes back to fear. It comes back to Mm -hmm. fear, right? I'm scared of this because I, if we grew up, if you're listening to this and you could grew up in the U.S. like you didn't have any there was no sex education there's there's was it like if you wanted it you had to seek it out so it on some level it makes sense that there's these deep misconceptions because there's this deep 
fear around sex. There's this deep fear around talking about sex. There's this deep fear of having um, open, honest conversations about what is going on in your intimate life and not um, like shaming it or putting it down, right? And so the, like, those are the misconceptions I get all the time. But really what I do with clients is like talking to them about how do I get into my body? How do I experience deep levels of pleasure? That's the biggest thing I work with. And so um, Dr. Tammy Nelson says this best and her research points to that you cannot heal trauma unless you experience pleasure. We have to experience pleasure in the body in order to heal our trauma. And so a lot of what I work with clients on is like, let's learn how to experience pleasure in the body. And what is pleasure? It's peace and it's presence. So it's also learning how do I be at peace and at presence in my body? Because if we're going through this, like, you know, healing of our trauma, we're on our healing journey and all we're focusing on is this deep level of healing. It can feel really overwhelming to be in the body because it might not feel good. It's like, oh, I'm digging up all of this stuff and my heart is breaking and my stomach feels mm. sick, right? And there's these deep levels of emotional distress that can come into the body. So especially for when we're healing, it is so important for us to make sure that we are infusing our bodies with pleasure so that we're telling our bodies like, yes, this was our experience. This was painful. This was trauma, but now I can choose pleasure. And so a lot of what I do with clients too, is like, how do I live a life of pleasure? And yes, that's masturbation. And yes, that's self-touch, but it's also like drinking your coffee in the morning or for me, because I love coffee and sitting and like, feeling the warmth and the taste and just being like, wow, this feels so good in my body right now. It's going for a walk with no destination in mind and just feeling the sun on your skin. Pleasure is vast and all around us. And so learning how to experience that in the body is a key part of what I do. Absolutely. And I guess kind of, you know, taking, um, taking it from the, the side of people who are into fitness or athletes or whatever. And I've had this conversation with you and then also other coaches, like, I think what you said, like taking a walk with no destination. And I've been thinking about this a lot, just maybe in my own training recently, but just playing, playing like physically, like so many people just in general use exercise as a punishment or, and one of my, um, coaching mentors, Rod Francis, he's, he, you know, he's a coach and he, he also incorporates embodiment practices into his coaching style. And, um, so I learned that through him and, and he, uh, when he brought up somatic practices, he, you know, mentioned you know, Qigong, Tai Chi, yoga, and things like that. Cause these are, these are meant to be somatic practices. And I think, I think it was me that questioned like, well, what about exercise? And he's like, well, I don't necessarily agree with that because in his perspective, and, and, and I agree, and I think this is like maybe adding to the societal uh, viewpoint of like exercise is like making your body, you know, submit to you for a lot of people, again, like way up to even just like people who are a little bit more competitive or intense with their training. It's, it's business, right? But again, it's like, where's that play? Like you look at children, they play sports. They don't necessarily have a an, an objective there they're just experiencing there it's like oh let's do a cartwheel oh i fell let's try it again and they're just experimenting and playing and it's like because it's that presence but it's also this like which is really hard i think for people socialized women pleasure mm -hmm. and being in the body also does not have an outcome 
it's it's not outcome focused, right? It's just I'm here with my body. That's it. And people socialized female, we have learned growing up that so much of our value in this worth in this world is what we produce. What can you produce? How much can you get done? How much can you give me, right? I'm only valuable if I clean the house, if I do the laundry, if I make sure that I have a meal on the table, right? I'm only valuable and my worth is only if I'm doing these things, right? And pleasure says like, I don't have to have an outcome. I am just allowed to be in my body. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess I'll just speak for myself. It, it is kind of a, an odd concept there. Cause again, like having that narrative and and just like it's like wait i'm just supposed to be here like i'm just supposed to be experienced like there's nothing like it's not toning any you know speaking specifically about like female narratives or people who are socialized as female like yeah like i'm not supposed to be toning this or anything or another another thing that i i see speaking specifically with with women and women who who are who are mothers and wives is like I want to do this for me. I want to go to the gym. I want to do it for me. But dot, 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 you know, there's the children, the partner, whatever that, you know, I feel guilty. I ha- and, and it's, there's this conflict here. Again, it's like, I want to go do something and, and be strong or whatever. Just like, again, get that, that sense of, of pleasure or satisfaction of doing something with their body physically, like talking about exercise in this case. But again, there's that production of like, I got to help the kids with their homework or I have to clean or, oh my goodness, like I spent 90 minutes away from my house, my family, my job, whatever. And it's like, it's the deep levels of guilt because we've been socialized to be these like immense caretakers and forget about ourselves. Like we've been socialized like as, as women to be martyrs. It's like, I'm a good wife and a good mother and a good partner. If I put everyone above myself and I martyr myself. And it's just like so inaccurate. It's patriarchy, it's capitalism. It's all of these systems of oppression that are telling us these things. It's not systems of freedom that tell us that. It's systems of oppression. What about dad bod versus mom bod? Again, like women, wives, mothers are told to to sacrifice themselves to, to be martyrs and things like that. And part of that is your body. Yeah, yeah, it's so true because like, society still so much views women as a consumable yeah right and in this idea of consumability we have to play into capitalistic and white eurocentric views of beauty and if we don't play into it then we're not able to be consumed and so it's a radical act of self-love and self-acceptance to say and also a radical act of resistance Mm. and abolitionism to be like I love my body and I don't have a six-pack and I have stretch marks and I have scars on my stomach from surgery and one breast is way bigger than the other whatever like and it's like a radical act to say like I love the way I am because my body carries me every day because my body is the body that wakes me up and gets me out of bed and allows me to walk my body is the body who's help me survive through trauma. My body is the body who loves. My body is the body that is able to hug and hold, right? And it's a radical act to say like, I love my body in a world, especially for women that is telling us left, right, up and down, you better hate your body. 
getting into maybe a little bit more of the the somatic practices going back to what you were saying like being in our body and being present that's it, it basically is is a way um and well there's maybe multiple ways to access that but it goes into basically calming down our nervous system right because anyone who has experienced like kind of that centeredness that groundedness that presence there they can tell you or at least they can sense that that parasympathetic nervous system goes down again i think that's like a skill for for anybody to learn what are some of the techniques that that you teach because i know i know one and I, I pull up my notes from the uh the workshop that i did with you back in um but i would love to hear like yeah what are some like maybe basic techniques or i don't know more advanced practices or just an overview <laughs> some of the simplest somatic techniques are are forms of breath work right that's it's like very simple, but it can feel incredibly complex, especially if we've never sat with trying to regulate our nervous system. But mm -hmm. deep, deep breaths, feeling it in and out of your chest, moving the breath into the belly, cycling from chest breast to belly breast. Then I do pelvic floor breathing, right? And that's another piece of grounding. Also, like so much of somatic practices is also just listening to the body and knowing like the body, what the body wants, like oh, I'm feeling restless right now. My body probably wants to dance. So I'm going to go dance, right? One that I love to use with clients and I teach them, especially people that are coming out of um, cycles of martyrdom or like heavy mm. people pleasing tendencies is I give them assignments to sing loudly. Like I want <laughs> you to sing loudly in your house, really? in your car, because what you're doing is you're practicing using your voice. You're practicing using your voice without shame. You're practicing using your voice with joy and with assertion. And so mm. even things like that, you know, they'll be, I'm not a good singer. It's, I don't care. Mm. Like practice, use your voice, allow your voice to be strong and proud. You know, another somatic exercise is writing, like literally just like writing, thinking so often we just get into our heads and we're in these like hamster spiral doom circles, right? and yeah. putting it out on the paper and writing it out, moving it out of the body. Somatics is literally moving things out of the body. It's like, this mm. does not belong in my body, so I'm going to move it out of my body, right? Or I'm gonna process with engaging my body. Um, some of the best somatic practices too is like really slow yoga practices. So yin, right? Not core power. <laughs> I love yin <laughs> yoga. Yeah, like, you know, yin, um, um, what's the other, I can't think of it. Um, uh, yoga Nidra or thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Two great like practices for, um, somatics as well. So lots of body-based practices. I love that you brought up writing because not necessarily somatic coaches, but just kind of coaches, productivity coaches, business coaches in general, they will, you'll often hear, I've often heard them advocate for when you're writing down goals, when you're writing down um, plans, strategies, whatever, like old school pen and paper. Like if you, if you want to, if you absolutely must use your phone or, or a computer to type, that's fine. But there is something. And as you mentioned, you know, there is something about that act of putting pen to paper and just physically like moving your hand. And I guess also maybe and maybe I'm, I'm reaching with this, but I feel like it's more presence. I mean, if you just simply think about, especially if you just have like you, yourself, your desk, piece of paper and a pen, you don't have anything, you know, your phone or anything there and you're, you're more centered, you're more grounded. And 
I've experienced this and I know the coaches who advocate for this bring this up, but it's like, I feel like it's, it's more authentic. It's more from the heart, from the guts, you know, from all these places of our body that have, and, and, and I guess also just kind of speaking from my own experience, like things will come up spontaneously that your brain hasn't thought of. Cause again, in my opinion, that information is coming from somewhere else, you know, whether you call it intuition or anything else like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also like this practice of stepping outside of perfectionism, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, I'm just going to write what's coming to me. I'm not going to worry about my sentence structure or my grammar or my spelling. I'm just going to write out what is going on in my brain. And so it's also this practice of like, just like exactly what we said, being with yourself, being with Mm -hmm. myself without judgment of like, this is just what's coming through me right now. I don't have to have perfect grammar or spelling or like eloquently write this all down. I can just write it. Have you ever heard of um, the concept of, or the, I guess it's a book now, Morning Pages by Julia Cameron? Yeah. So it's totally that, right? It's like a stream of consciousness. Like, yeah, don't worry about spelling perfect, like the perfect phrasing or anything else like that. Like just write it there. Yeah, absolutely. And they talk about um, in the artist way too. That's like part yeah. of, yeah. And um, it's part of the practices that you do in the artist way. That's awesome. Well, yeah. So talking about, so <laughs> you're going to have to, um, I guess, kind of fill in the the details for me because when I when I so for anyone listening I met Rachel back in I think it was March of this year and I think it was I think it was a breathwork you it was titled a breathwork workshop there but it was like also somatic and and you like you said you as you mentioned there were some kind of like breathing exercises that you took us through um which by the way the whole pelvic floor breathing that was like a new experience for me like I had been doing the deep breathing, um, deep belly breathing and everything. When you had us go into the pelvic floor, it was, it was a new, just kind of, yeah, sense of, of grounding and, and then everything else like that. And it was really intense. And, um, I need to revisit that. Cause like, like I said, it was, it was very interesting. This is one of the things that I, I wrote down in my notes here. Cause I thought it was such an interesting exercise, at least what I took away from it. And uh, I kind of wanted to borrow it from my own coaching with people there. And I don't, I don't know what you would call it there, but it was one where like, you, you kind of breathe and it's, it's checking in with the body. So it's the first level is what do I sense? And, and then what do I feel in my body? And then the third round of breathing is what do I notice has changed? And I'll just share this really quick and then I'll let you kind of maybe fill in the details there. But what I took away from that is in that experience is like the first one, what do I sense my, and oh, and I guess part of the practice was also just scanning the room, I believe. But yeah, I noticed as the cycles of breathing continued on and I kept kind of feeling deeper, deeper into my body, I felt like more relaxed, more comfortable kind of exploring the room more. And again, this was, this wasn't even a high stress situation. Like this was a, you know, a safe space there. Like everyone was there relaxing, chilling, like Rachel was leading us. Like there was no reason to feel threatened. And yet during that first kind of round, like my, my vision, my gaze was just very kind of like just straightforward, maybe looking out of the corner of my eye. And then by the end, I was like turning my, like, I felt, like I said, like, I guess more comfortable exploring the space. They're not feeling threatened. So would love for you to explain more about that. Yeah. I love that practice. It's called um, scanning for safety. And so I use it a lot with clients who, I mean, it's great for anyone, but particularly Mm -hmm. I use it with clients that have high anxiety because Mm -hmm. what happens when we have high anxiety, right? Or I'll speak 
let's just speak generally social anxiety, especially after coming out of like being locked inside for two years, right? I think everyone has some level or has experienced some level of show social anxiety coming back. And so what happens is like when we walk into a room, our eyes scan like crazy and we actually like, you're probably not even aware of it. And basically our eyes are scanning for threats. It's, it's a caveman. Um, yeah practice that we have of just like, can I be safe here? And basically our eyes are crazy scanning, looking for anything that could be a threat. This practice basically says like, I'm in control. And as a reminder to the body that you are keeping the body safe, that the body doesn't have to go into overdrive, trying to keep you safe. And so, yeah, you go into the room and the first thing you do is you just scan the entire room. And then you answer the question of like, what do I notice? Take a moment. And then you scan the entire room again and say, what do I notice in my body or what do I feel in my body? And then scan one more time and say, what do I notice in my presence or what do I notice that's changed in my sense of presence? And really what it does is just calm the nervous system and it allows your body to know that you are, that you are supporting the body. The body doesn't have to be in overdrive. The body doesn't have to be hyper aware or in this state of high anxiety because you're with the body and you're keeping the body safe. It's so interesting. And, and I guess, like, like I said, I, I told you that I kind of wanted to borrow it for my own coaching with people there. Cause just Please thinking do. about, yeah. Oh, sorry. Please do. Yeah. I, will. I, I, want, I want these practices to be widespread. Like I, yeah. I, I don't want to be a gatekeeper of this knowledge. <laughs> no, no. I, I, well, it's, it's so valuable, right? You know, I've said this before with other people, like that's, you know, what coaches do. We're here to kind of, <laughs> help people. But I was just thinking like from the, from the athlete perspective, because I've experienced this myself. And then also it's, it's a common theme that, that people talk about when they're competing and, and just kind of the mental spiral there. Like, so scanning for threats again, like, and I guess that's something you brought up, like it's part of our evolution, like, and I've said this in other podcasts or with other coaches too. It's like, it's all there for like, you know, once upon a time, we did have to scan for very real physical threats, like mm-hmm. a tiger, a dinosaur cliff that we may or may not have fallen off of. And so that's still ingrained in us. But again, like you're talking about social anxieties, like people walk into rooms now, it's like, oh my God, my ex is there. Or you mentioned COVID, like that was like a very mm-hmm. uncomfortable, like surreal, like going to a restaurant for the first time. And it's like, again, logically, it's like, I've been doing this for, for decades now, but all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, that person just sneezed. Like, right. and it's just all these triggers. But um, I guess all of that to say is that it's now more psychological, right? And if you want to, you know, COVID aside there, but just going back to maybe like walking into a social situation where like, oh, my ex is there, or this person who I think uh, judges me is there, like it's more psychological. And are they actually real threats? That's something also to be discussed. But talking about, athletes and people who are, who are competing, you walk up to the, the, the starting line of a, of a race and it's like, oh my gosh, this person is here who is so much faster than me or this, per-. and it's like, you start sizing yourself up and it's, you know, you talk about mental performance and like, it knocks you off your game because you're more worried about what this person's doing. Or if you talk about like a race, like they're ahead of me now. And, and it's like, Again, I guess I, I thought value of that because it's like, if someone can just 
who is entering a, a competition, if they could just go through this quickly, you know, it brings them back into their send, you know, and, and they can just run their own race or, you know, play their own game and not worry about these other, you know, whether they're real or not, but perceived threats around them from their other competitors. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, because what you're doing is like being like, I'm here in my body and that's what matters, right? These people around me do not matter at this moment. I matter. Exactly. Well, and, 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 and speaking specifically about the body, it's like you've, you've done your training, you're, you, you know, you've worked really hard to, to make your body as strong, as fast, as, as capable as it is. Um, and so lean into that, like lean, you know, trust your body, trust what it's capable of, you know, appreciate, you know, have that gratitude even for, for what it is capable of and and what it's about to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Operating out of appreciation. That's the hugest thing. Appreciation over judgment. That's where, that's when you win. That's when you go far. It's like, I'm operating out of appreciation for my body instead of judgment of my body. I'm just thinking again, it's just like, in that, that athlete world there, it's like always comparison. And it's like, you could talk about like the aesthetics, but just even capabilities of like, oh my gosh, you know, this person is stronger than me, or they can do that. And, and, and just like the narratives that get in, and this maybe is a little bit more of inner critic work there, but it's like, I see someone who is maybe more capable of something, you know, in this moment. And it's like the narrative that comes up is like, well, I suck, you know? I'm, I'm terrible at this. And then you just beat yourself down. I think again, it's like, maybe just like kind of like that protection there. Like you're, like you said, operating out of fear. Right. Yeah. And um, like, it's so easy to get into those mindsets. Right. I ran for like all of my twenties. I was a huge runner. I did marathons and half marathons all the time. And I was nice. never a fast runner. Like never. That's just, I'm not a fast runner. I think my fastest marathon was like 420. So it's like a nine and a half minute mile, 10 minute mile. Like I'm not a fast runner. And I, and that was like training like crazy for that time. My first marathon, it was like 530. Like, and so yeah. getting into those and I would get really really down on myself. Like you're so slow. Why are you doing this? You're embarrassing. Like everyone's better than you. And it's so hard to step outside of that critic mode, especially mm. like when you're competing. Right. And so mm-hmm. what helped me a lot was remembering, like I'm competing with myself and I'm also honoring the fact that my body can do this. So what mm. if I'm not fast? I'm Going to the Boston Marathon is not a goal of mine. Winning this race is not a goal of mine. Running 26 miles is a goal of mine, right? And like Mm -hmm. operating out of appreciation that my body could do that is really what changed and allowed me to let go and release that inner critic. Yeah, it goes back to kind of just that sense of playfulness or even um, curiosity there. Like being curious of like, what can my body do? How far can it run? Like... (laughs) People who who know me personally will probably like guffaw at this, but I really want to do ultra running. I know people, like I said, people who know me personally would be like, really, Bridget, really, you're going to run a hundred miles. But I really do. I, 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 there's a part of me who's curious, like, could my body do this? Like, I don't know. It's, and, and then, and then there's other people who, who see it. It's like, what are you a masochist? Like, what are you like? I guess that's a good question. Like, what, what are your thoughts or perspectives on that? Like for people who maybe do these more extreme or whatever, like big challenges there. 
from a place of curiosity because you, you, you talk to these, some of these people, like I feel like any sort of physical uh, feat of strength or endurance is a, is a form of self-actualization because again, going back to like our nomadic ancient times, like no one needs to run a marathon anymore. We have cars, right? And yet millions of people do that every, every year throughout the entire world. And the question is like, why, why? I just wanted to try. I wanted to try and see what would happen. Yeah. And I think that's how I felt too. When I ran my first and like second marathon was like, I want to know, like, can I do this? And then I was like, can I do it faster? Like, I was curious, like, yeah. can my body do this? And then I did it in the last marathon I ran was in 20, I think it was in 2018. Um, mm-hmm. And since then, that was like, I remember getting the fish line. And I'm like, I'm good on this. I don't need to <laughs> again. Like I've done yeah. it twice and I've ran now over 30 half marathons. If, if I include like my training runs and everything and it's wow. like, I'm, I'm, I'm good on this. And so yeah. I think honoring the place when you get to, of like, I don't have to keep doing this to prove something I'm done. Like yeah. also honoring the body when the body's like, I don't want to do it anymore. Right. Yeah. And now for me, like I find a lot of joy in going for a one or two mile run. And that's really joyful for me. And I think a big thing that I've focused on is like, how do I infuse my life with joyful movement? What feels joyful mm-hmm. to me? Um, and I really had to actually take like, I took almost two years off of working out during mm-hmm. COVID because when it happened, I was freaking out. Like when we were shut down, I used to, I went from running really intense all the time for almost 10 years to really intense spin. I would like was always at the spin studio doing like two a day. Like I loved, so like high intensity cardio was my jam. Mm. And when COVID happened, I remember being like, oh my God, I'm going to get fat. I'm going to hate my body. And, I, and I'm thinking, why am I so focused on my body right now? Like, why is this my focus? And so I actually took like two years off of working out because I was like, I actually don't want to work out again until my motivation is not about the way my body looks. Wow. And so, cause I was like, I, and not that like, I've just been like laying on the couch. I, I realized that I really love long walks. I love listening to audible books and going for like a five mile walk is like so joyful for me. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or doing like really slow restorative yoga. And I've realized that kind of like stepping out of that punishment, but I had to kind of, for me, I had to just kind of like cut off totally and reevaluate of like, why am I working out? And I don't want to work out out of punishment. And I don't want to work out of this place of, I hate my body. I want to work out of this place of like, I appreciate my body so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I guess, could you like, what was that process like for you? Or if you've worked with anyone, cause there, cause I think that experience, um, you know, you're not alone in that experience. And, and again, like there's been so much commentary of like, oh, you know, the pandemic 15 or things like that, who, and, and again, like that guilt of like people letting themselves go. And it's like, that, that some major shit went down. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, like, did we let ourselves and, go or did we just all experience collective trauma? Like, exa- yeah, no, I, I don't mean, think that was... we let ourselves go. I think we survived in that. Exactly. Like, yeah. We all have bodies that survived this, which was incredibly hard. Like this is going to be something that if we have kids, right. They're, they're going to ask us about this time and be like, how did you survive? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's, but it's also like a huge thing is taking morality out of weight. Like you're not good or bad because you weigh an extra 15 pounds. You're not good or bad because you've lost weight. 
there's no morality involved in your weight. And that's a huge lesson (laughs) that I think Mm -hmm. most of us can learn is that weight does not equal morality. It does not equal good or bad. It does not equal strong or not strong. It does not equal like fastest or not. It just is, right? Yeah. It's a metric. You could even argue, you know, a metric of health. It's one metric of health. And, you know, this is this is a a point that gets me quite a bit in, in the nutrition and health coaching space there. But a skinny body doesn't necessarily mean a, a healthy body. Yeah, right. and a fat body doesn't mean an unhealthy body. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And vice versa there. Maybe just focusing for a moment on biologically female bodies, because I'm thinking specifically of like menstruation there, like and and going to these extreme levels of and even and even I I, I you know, I, I will also include um physiological uh or yeah, biological biologically male bodies as well, because a- anybody, I guess will say here does experience hormonal disruption, you know, whether it is like a cease in, in menstruation or even just sex drive again, like erectile dysfunction, all of that there because our bodies need, need a, a certain amount of fat to survive. And our hormones con- are, are built from, from fat and everything else like that. I don't know. That was a, that was a, a major no, tangent. <laughs> no, but it's so true. And like, one of the things I remind my, my female clients all the time is like, our bodies are literally made cyclically. Like we were made to like, our bodies operate like just our menstruation. We operate on cycles for yeah. us to go through cycles of weight gain and weight loss, like not major, right. But like mm-hmm. five to 10 pounds, that's normal for our bodies. It's not unhealthy. It's not bad. Like we are cyclical beings and like honoring that and not Mm -hmm. being scared of it. I think one of the things that I tell my clients too, is like, and this is a mantra I use for myself. My weight is the least interesting thing about me. Mm. There, that, like that. that should be the least interesting thing about me. Also, just to kind of add, you were talking about like the cyclical nature of, of female bodies there. Just talking about like energy ebbs and flows to like another coach. She's, I guess I'll call her a, like a female hormone specialist there. She was talking about how, you know, women who are experiencing, I think it's the, the luteal phase there, you know, estrogen dips. And so therefore serotonin dips. And so this is where you get depressed, you get unmotivated, you crave things that are going to maybe, you know, boost that serotonin. And the point that she was arguing is, you know, you might go to a a traditional Western doctor and, but I think just society in general, it just gets dismissed. It's like, well, here's some hormonal, hormonal birth control, or here's an antidepressant. And again, going back to that comment of what you were saying, like, we're meant to produce. It's like, no, 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 don't take time to like be tired or a little bit unmotivated or a little bit, you know, not clinically, like I don't want to minimize depression, but you know, there is kind of that, that little bit of lull there. It's like, nope, get back to work, get back to training, get back to, you know, actual career work there. Like you can't stop. You can't take this, this time to just be, even if it's less than ideal. That's why this idea of just being in presence is like so radical because it's against mm-hmm. a capitalistic society. That's like, yeah. you have to go, you have to produce, you have to do, you have to do, you're not allowed to rest. You're not allowed to take yeah. care of yourself. You have to just keep producing. Right. Or even on the emotional level there, um, it's like the only things, you know, if you are going to be, it's like the expectation is you're going to be peaceful and happy and content. It's like, 
sometimes when I'm just being, it's it's just kind of sitting in some like kind of you know shitty feelings there. And I think it was Glennon Doyle who like pointed this out in in her memoir. There, it's like that's that's the expectation is like the only feelings that we're allowed to feel, especially as women, is we're we're only allowed to feel happy. Like you know, don't talk about how you're sad. Don't talk about how you're frustrated. Don't talk about how you're fed up. Don't talk about how you're experiencing postpartum depression. Because, and this was the conversation I had in, in another podcast episode with Nina Bourne, like in American society, we women aren't given that time to recover from pregnancy. And so that's, you know, what she noted was like postpartum depression, you know, kind of stems from this here, not allowing, you know, the physical, the emotional uh, selves to recover. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're just expected to keep going. <laughs> keep going <laughs> like we just created a life and pushed it out of our bodies i need a break <laughs> like yeah yeah no i mean I, I i had a client who was postpartum and she was seeking nutrition coaching and i was like let's just stop and just acknowledge the fact that you just did something super incredible super hard like childbirth is is not an easy thing and just kind of sit with that reality for a minute yeah, and recognizing, like, I think I have a friend right now who's going through um, IVF, and we were mm-hmm. talking over the weekend, and she was like, I feel like she just um, had the embryo implanted last weekend, and so now, and she's like, I feel so exhausted, I haven't done anything all weekend, I've just been laying, I feel so lazy, and I was like, your body is literally working so hard for you right now, your body yeah. is working so hard to make a life, and mm that is incredible. And I know that it, you can't see it. So it's hard to remember that, but like allow yourself to rest because your body is working in overtime right now to try to create a being. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I guess kind of talking about the whole production thing there's, and we see this in, in, in the natural world and in nature, there's, there's so much that goes dormant that you don't see. And then all of a sudden it's like, there's a beautiful flower or a tree. And again, like human life, like, yeah, you don't see it, but as you pointed out with your friend, like hormonally, biologically, physi- physiologically, like, yeah, no wonder you're exhausted. Or this isn't maybe necessarily the same thing, but nutritionally, people people always criticize, because um, this is like where people advocate for low carb or whatever. They're like, oh, you you shouldn't be, you shouldn't feel tired after eating. It's, it's, it's bad to crash. And it's like, well, you realize that we get energy from the food that we consume. And so in order to get that energy out, it doesn't just like automatically happen. The body has to break it. Well, guess what? That's work. That's, that's your metabolism at work. You know, there's something called the thermo thermogenic effect of food. And so, yeah, you're, you are going to feel tired, especially if you do consume, you know, a heavier food because it's your body, as you mentioned is, you know, with the case of IVF, your body is working right now to turn that apple or piece of chicken or whatever into something that will create something else in your body. And again, people like society just, just ignore that. They don't be like, maybe I should just kind of take a a 30 minutes after, after my lunch or whatever to just relax. You know, they do that in other countries, but but not here. We were talking about this before we started recording my, my past, uh, my previous profession in teaching. I taught ESL and I taught a lot of students from other countries and they were appalled at how short our, our lunchtime was. They're like, we don't, we don't even have time to eat, let alone like eat, relax, you know, go for a walk, smoke a cigarette, whatever. Like again, and 
going back to that idea of pleasure, like it's very transactional for us as Americans, like consume food, get back to work. And if you're tired, well, there's something wrong with you. You're eating, you know, you're eating the wrong foods, which may or may not be the case, but it's also like, again, that, that morality. Totally. Like, and it's just, there's not morality attached to this. Like, I think that's one of the biggest thing I tell work with my clients, like our bodies are not moral. Like they're not good or bad. They're not right or wrong. They're just, they're our bodies. That's it. Yeah. Our bodies, then they're a part of us. And really working too is like when you're starting to talk to the body, when you're starting to listen to the body and learn to the, learn from the body, it's so important that we use language that also doesn't include morality. I know like I gave at the workshop that I met you at, like everyone that vocabulary list. And it's this vocabulary list I've created of all of these words that are just statements of being, they're not morality based. So it's not like I feel fat, I feel sad, I feel all of these statements that we could use that in imply morality instead of it's just like my chest feels tight, right? My hands are shaking, my head feels light, right? Talking about the body too in these like neutral phrases that are just statements of being instead of statements of morality allows us to step into self-compassion. Something that just came up for me, and I, I thought about this also, just the need to, I guess, justify or make sense out of it. Um, another experience that I had with a, with a different coach who was um, going through somatic training there, um, we were doing kind of, I, I guess, an embodiment practice. And I was, I was the client as I was kind of going through and experiencing different things like, yeah, using the, that vocabulary of like, oh, it's tingling or shaking or like kind of goosebumpy, goosebumpy and things like that. But then um, during the, uh, during the experience, I was like, I think I said something about like, oh, my, my chest is tight or I feel my pulse racing. And I was like, but maybe I'm just nervous right now. Or it's just, a you know, I just had a spike in adrenaline. She's like, don't try to make any sort of sense out. Don't, don't try to justify it. She's like, cause our brains want to, to do that. Right. Versus like, again, being in, I think this, maybe this is something that we can kind of get into a little bit deeper right now, but I, I don't think people really understand what it's like to be in their bodies without going up to the brain. And as I mentioned, um, you know, trying to make any sense, logic, you know, justify, oh, I'm feeling this. Well, it's just because of that. And again, going into like, that dismissive narrative or or whatever it may be. Yeah. It's so true. It's like, we try to apply logic to it all the time. And like, is there logic to some of the ways the body is feeling? Absolutely. But we can also just observe and be in it and we don't have to create logic out of it. It could just be like, this is what's happening in this moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. no, people don't know how to be in their bodies. Everything around us, it teaches us disassociation, literally everything. Right. You know, to be, thinking about like heavy endurance workouts, right? Where like, yeah. you know, I know we've talked about this on our own personal time together, but like heavy endurance CrossFit workouts, like don't listen, like not everyone, not all the CrossFit workouts, but some coaches and some gyms are like, don't listen to the body, push through the pain, disassociate, right? Just go mm. mm-hmm. heavy, um, you know, work, work balance, right? I'm so exhausted, but I have to get this to my boss, right? So I have to disassociate from my exhaustion and work and power through. Um, <laughs> spending time with family. If our family and I and us have like complex relationships, I have to disassociate because I just have to get through this. So, so much of our lives, we are taught that survival is disassociation. 
but survival is actually dependent on us associating with our bodies so that our bodies don't move into fight, flight, or freeze all the time so that we can talk to the bodies and calm the nervous system. Yeah, I guess speaking about that nervous system, that's something that I think I realized and not coming from a place of judgment at all, but I, cause I've experienced this in my own life, you know, before kind of going through, I guess you could say a healing journey and just kind of learning the things that I've learned in recent years is that so many people are in that fight or, or flight state continually, perpetually, that sympathetic state there that, and, and it's because of that disassociation that they don't even realize it. It's just, this is normal. And so again, like, and then once they are maybe in a, maybe more of a state of being that it's, it feels foreign to them and it's like, what's wrong when, you know, and so then that narrative kicks, you know, it's like you said, the, the hamster wheel of, of doom there. Like, it's like, wait, no, no, I should be doing something. Like, what am I doing? Oh, I'm just sitting on the couch. I'm, yeah. Like my body needs rest and I'm just laying here and it's like, well, maybe I should go do something. Or maybe if I, if I am laying here, maybe I should read something. It's like, maybe just be here. Just feel the, the air. Uh, you know, on my skin or just rest. God forbid we just rest. <laughs> Speaking about, I, I, I did want to bring this up earlier. You're talking about like listening to your body because that is always the phrase that does get brought up in training, you know, talking about like fitness and exercise and training. Listen to your body. But then there's also, as you mentioned, it does get kind of dismissed there. Things like that. I think people get that on a superficial level of like, ooh, um, I just did something to my arm and it, it hurts really bad. I should stop there. I think people understand that, like I said, on the, on the superficial logical level there, but again, like really listening to your body. And I think it's especially in the context of training, exercise, anything, or even in the middle of a workout, like the, have you ever heard of the concept of the pain cave? Pain cave is like, uh, referencing specifically CrossFit. It's like, you're in the middle of an intense workout. It's basically like that threshold of, I would say like the lactic acid is building up in your body. And then, you know, the, the brain chatter goes on where it's like, you need to, you know, like your, your, your mind, your body's like kind of in this crisis mode, right? Because it's, it's getting so intense. So people always say like, don't go into the pain cave or stay out of the pain cave or whatever. I had experienced this just, I was just doing a really intense workout. And I guess instead of as you brought up, instead of disassociating, instead of just pushing through or criticizing myself, I actually, I actually did some, some breathing, some somatic breathing. So I like, I actually got out of my head. I went into my body and it was actually less, I guess, less of a crisis there because there wasn't that mental chatter, but kind of going into that, like, yeah, listening to one's body, like how to use that skillfully, because I think people, we can move with joy and for pleasure, but there are people out there uh, I'll put myself, you know, myself included who do train with specific outcomes. Right. Yeah. And that's totally like what the, we should all be allowed to use our bodies in the way that we want. There's not mm -hmm. like, I think once again, taking the morality away from it, there's not a right or wrong. There's not a good or bad. Maybe check in with our motivations, our motivations, like because I had five margaritas and I'm worried about getting fat or um, is my motivation because I have this like ideal body type that I think if I don't achieve it, I won't be worthy. Right. Or is my motivation. I really want to see how far I can push my body. I really, I'm curious to see how I can do this. I'm curious to see if I have a friend who like, um, is a nutritionist and like, he will do different, uh, nutrition plans. Cause he's like, I'm curious to see like how I can get my body into different physical fitness levels. And totally. like, 
and it's not about this aesthetic it's about like i'm just curious of like what my body could do i think that's very different than operating out of this like i hate my body and i'm punishing my body right taking that out of it and just saying like what how do i want to be with my body and how do i want to use my body in this world and there are people that love high intensity workouts. Like I did that for a long time and I really loved it. And then I got to a place in my life where I'm like, I don't really like those anymore, right? And instead of pushing through and continuing to do it, I was like, no, I'm just gonna stop because I actually, they don't bring me joy anymore. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up again because um, you mentioned it earlier, like just people who do certain modalities of exercise or sports and then they reach that that point of like, yeah, this is good enough. and not having that sense of shame or whatever to, to walk away. Like, yeah, like I, I mentioned, I brought up like the whole ultra marathon 100. Like I was reading an article from, from one uh, person and she's like, yeah, it was a one and done and that's it. And, and it can be okay. Like, doesn't mean you sucked at it. Doesn't mean like you're, you know, a flake or anything. Like, I think that's the other thing too, is like people like, or sorry, society expects people in general like to like do the same things over and over again. And like you said, like, you know, using your own example, like, I don't want, I don't want to run anymore. Like this, you know, it was fun while it lasted and that's it. Like now to move on to something else. Yeah. And just like not shaming ourselves when we feel that right. Yeah. And just allowing ourselves to move in a different way. In all of this, what the one thing I keep thinking about is like in the motivation aspect of like, am I doing this because of because I feel like my sense of worthiness is coming from this. Mm. If I feel like my sense of worthiness is only available to me because I do a high intensity workout, because I run an ultra marathon, then maybe mm. that's a reason to step back and remind yourself that like you're innately worthy. You're worthy whether you do the high intensity workout or the ultra marathon or don't. Like, so making sure that like your sense of worthiness is not derived from that. So much mm -hmm. of what I teach clients is like, you're innately worthy. You don't have to do or be anything. You were born worthy. Like, yeah. and when we learn that there's so much freedom. And so like, am I doing this ultra marathon? Because I really want to do it. And I just want to see like what happens with my body. And I want to see if I can do this and maybe it's one and done. Maybe I like do it and I love it. And I love what I did, but Am I, is my sense of worthy gonna, worthiness going to be dependent on if I complete this? Is my sense of worthiness going to be like dependent on if I do it again, right? Or am I able to believe I'm innately worthy and this is something I want to try? So I'm just thinking again, like another thing that just came, so you and I are both live in Colorado and there's something here called uh, uh, 14ers, right? <laughs> Have you done one yet? I did. So I did another thing. I did a bunch when I first moved here. I think I've done four, uh, I've done five or six actually. Cause nice. I did the one that's two where you like, I forget which one that I think is. It's like Mount Evan or beer. No. Like it's like, yeah. yeah. And you like go, you summit one and then you summit the other. And that oh, was, wait, oh no, never mind. Yeah. That was the other thing. I'm like, I'm good on that. I've done enough of those. Well, no, it's interesting. And, 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 uh, so I'm going to do one in a couple of weeks here. For my birthday, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be 40, and so it's something that I wanted to do for me, you know, mark this this milestone, this part of you know my life. But also, yeah, I, I it's it's either gonna be one of two ways for me. It's either gonna be like, okay, let's go and conquer all 58, possibly, or it's gonna be like one and done. Like, wow, that was like because <laughs> my nephew took his girlfriend, and she was like, that was traumatizing. Nope, not doing it um, again. But um, I guess just also thinking about the 
experience side of it and not the outcome because it's like it only counts if you make it to the summit and so also just having that part of my my mind that's like worried like well what if the weather is um is bad and we don't get to the summit or you know again that sense of morality that we put on ourselves like what if i don't make it what if it is like too hard or i get to like the top where because you know, for people who don't know there's something called like scrambles there where you're like kind of like crawling over rocks and it can be very scary and so yeah going back to that mental chatter of like oh you're such a wuss or get over it and and I guess what I'm trying to say is like if if that happens does that invalidate the rest of the hike and the beautiful experience and this you know again intention of me wanting to do something to mark this point in my life. And, and I guess that's kind of the lesson there of what you're, you know, when you work with, with your clients. Yeah, absolutely. Of like, you're worthy, whether you achieve it or not, it's not <laughs> no morality attached to it. You. It's just like, there's no morality. Like we have to take that out. And, um, yeah. And maybe you like, right. Maybe you do it and you're like, I'm addicted to this. And this is so fun. And I loved challenging my body in this way. And this felt really good. And I loved it. Or maybe mm-hmm. you do it, you're like, that was it. I'm good. I'm good on that. I don't need to do it again. And like, both are okay. And both are fine. Neither answer that you come to at the end of it is good or bad or right or wrong. It's what you decide for you. Right. I'm still going to have pizza and beer afterwards. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the only reason why I did so many. Cause I was like, I'm going to have so much beer when I'm at the end of this. Hell yeah. Uh, that's actually, that is the, that is the, <laughs> That is like my motivation for getting to the top is like, I'm going to have a, like my, yeah, my beer at the top there. And uh, my friend Lisa is coming with me. And I told her, like, we're going to get pizza and beer. And she's like, that's the only reason why I'm even coming anyway. So, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. um, oh, go ahead. No, I was just like, yeah, I did a bunch of them when I first moved here. Cause I've lived here for 10, almost 10 years. Mm. And then I kind of like the running, I was like, I don't really feel the need to do those again. Like I've done enough. I don't really want to mm-hmm. do them again. At this point, maybe in a year or two, I'm like, I really want to do another 14er. That's okay. Yeah. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to say you want to pick something up again. It's okay to take a break. Like mm. when we operate in just this idea of like, I'm innately worthy, regardless of outcome, regardless of output, we allow ourselves to step into freedom outside of shame. And when we step outside of shame, we step outside of sickness. <laughs> Mm. shame is what will keep us sick and stuck well we talked about we talked about a lot of things <laughs> and, and I guess you know really quick or, or if there's anything else that you want to add but I guess just kind of one last thing to ask um you know again going back to for anyone who is listening who is curious about like maybe stepping into their body or being more present in their body you mentioned breath work and things like that you mentioned like using different types of vocabulary. We talked about the, uh, the scan for safety. Um, are there any other, like just kind of basic practices or anything that, you know, for anyone who does like, you know, let's say they listen today and they're like, I'm going to, you know, start experiencing my body. Like, what can they do? Um, something even as simple as like self-touch when you're putting on like I love to put on lotion because I have really dry skin. Mm. And so like, even Mm. just like putting on lotion in the morning and like touching your body with gratitude as you do it, instead of just this, like, okay, I'm putting on lotion. I'm going to go get dressed and do this and Mm. go do, do, do. Like, that's a very simple practice too. Of like, I'm just going to put lotion on my body. I'm going to notice what it feels like to touch my own body. I'm going to notice what it feels like to 
say moment, say pieces of gratitude, like legs, thank you so much for getting me out of bed this morning. Heart, thank you so much that you always beat for me. Hands, thank you mm. for typing and writing for me today, right? And just practicing bodily gratitude as you work your way through putting on something as simple as body lotion. Yeah, I love that. I love the gratitude part too, because I think it's kind of a perfect way to to kind of bookend our conversation and just kind of this whole like how our bodies do so much for us and yet the appreciation isn't there and yeah it is it is a very simple practice and it's a very profound thing to just you know, like you said like thank your legs i think i was in another um maybe meditation class or whatever and and um the the teacher the guide there she was like thank your feet for bringing you here that's like yeah absolutely so. yeah and like we forget to thank our bodies so often we're in like negative self-talk mode right especially yeah. if we're in these cycles of, of like heavy I'm only worthy if I perform right and so yeah. a moment just to thank your body for working for you is huge yeah. right thank you stomach for digesting my food and giving me nutrients before we sign off I wanted to ask you like if people do want to learn more about you and your coaching and what you do, like, where can they find you? Like, where's the best way to, to reach out to you online or, or anywhere? And in- yeah, so on TikTok and on Instagram, I'm just at Rachel Overval. So just my name. Um, and then also, if you're interested in um, learning more about if you resonated with a little bit of my story of growing up in the high control religion, I have a memoir that's out and you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it at some local bookstores in Denver too, if you're here. Um, And so those are the best ways to reach out to me, follow and ask questions, or we can talk about working together as well. What's the name of your, of your book, of your memoir? Finding Feminism. Nice. That's awesome. And what about, I I, I have to, because you you and I have talked about this. Are you still making a transition over to, to Sunroom or is that? Yeah. So Sunroom is a new app that I've been using and it's really cool. So it's like for female and non-binary creators and it's kind of a mix of like TikTok with Patreon. So you can scroll it and consume content and discover people just like TikTok. Um, or or and then when you like someone you can go to their page and everyone has about three to four free posts but if you want to consume more of their content you subscribe to like a monthly membership and it's really great because we're like honoring women and non-binary creators emotional labor and time and energy into this um because maybe like right like one-on-one coaching isn't accessible or it's not for you but honoring the fact that I know you know this too, Bridget, like we spend yeah. hours and hours creating content that is consumed for free. And so feeling like there's an actual energetic exchange is so valuable in this. And it's $4 a month. I post like three to four times a week. And you can also ask me questions and I can create video responses to all of them too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point about like, yeah, just again, talking about production in general there, but uh, people take for granted how much like creators and coaches like yourself and and, and the, the things that you put out like, are highly valuable and highly educational. I was having this conversation with my wife in general this morning, but it's like social media now. It's I think this is a positive thing. The the focus has now changed from vanity to value. But again, like taking for granted like how much mental energy, emotional energy, physical and like it's it's a lot there. 
on top of everything else. So yeah, that's really cool. I, I yeah, I was, I was looking when you when you mentioned sunroom to me, I, I was looking at that and I noted, yeah, that you said female and, and non-binary, which I think is, is awesome. And as a creator, you have a little bit more control over what you're you're able to to post, you know, especially social media likes to censor things that are educational. Yeah. You know? Oh, I've gotten my Instagram shut down like three or four times for saying the word sex. And so like even yeah. though, yeah. And so Sunroom is great too, because I can actually share my sex education knowledge without getting censored and without trying to like come up with very creative ways to say things and not get flagged, which is exhausting. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's another great way and reason why I'm loving Sunroom too. Yeah. So anyone who's listening, like, like Rachel said, you know, if, if her story and, and what she's spoken about, like has, has resonated, yeah, definitely reach out. She's, she's an awesome person to work with there. And chat with and everything else like that. So, all right. Well, again, this has been super fun, you know, really, really great conversation. And, and I loved how it, you know, where we went with, with the conversation and, and yeah, it's, it's been great. So lots of gratitude to you, Rachel, for, for being on here and, and sharing some of your story and, and, uh, your thoughts and, and the, the information and everything that you shared with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And I loved having this conversation with you. All right. We'll see you next time. All right. That's all for today's show. Thank you so much again for listening and be sure to head over to aspire to coaching.com backslash podcast to check out the show notes for today's episode. There you'll find some of the links we've mentioned on today's podcast, as well as some of the previous episodes we've done. And while you're there, please make sure you sign up for show updates. I am always updating the show and bringing in bonus content. So you do not want to miss out on any of that. One last thing. If you loved this episode and you think a friend would really enjoy it as well, grab the link and share it out for me, please. It truly does help spread the word of this podcast and the topics that we discussed on our episodes. And at the end of the day, my goal is to empower as many people on their performance journey as possible. Thank you all so much again, and we'll see you next time.